Hello and welcome to episode 60 of Songs from a Padded Envelope. My name is Steve and I'm here with co-host Ben. Hello, Ben. Hey there, Steve. It's almost like we've never been away. <laughs> uh, Johnny Lynch, a.k.a. Pictish Trail, is our guest for this episode. And Ben, this one is a long time in the incubation, but well worth the wait. Uh, he's a bit of a genius, Johnny, is, is really, isn't he? I think he could become, you know, could feel like a bit of a hero, really, because he's uh, he encapsulates a lot of about what we have found important. One of the key things that we found important across these conversations with people, which is about a sense and strength of community that being a musician brings, isn't it really? Yes. Yeah, I wrote down uh, when I was putting my notes together to record this introduction with you. Um, I wrote down uh, uh, a spirit <laughs> oh, yeah, like, yeah. On, my, on my piece of paper. Uh, and then when I was kind of looking at it, thinking, why the hell have I, why have I written that? And I've written it for like a few different reasons. Mm -hmm. I felt like there's, there's his spirit. There's the spirit of the people around him. Yeah. There's the spirit oh, yeah. of the people who he is supporting uh, of the location that he's in past and present yeah um and this and and yeah and a real kind of love and commitment to music well oh without wanting to sound too uh cheesy about it uh, uh, life as well yeah yeah absolutely he's one of those people that you i mean i remember picking up having some email exchange with him a long time ago you know, prior to setting this up and then having, ending up having a phone call with him sometime during the pandemic. And I was, we were both kind of, I think he was wandering around the Isle of Egg and I was wandering around the streets of Bounds Green and just picked up the phone. And it is one of those people that you feel like you've known him for a million years. Mm. You know, the conversation is really, really easy with Johnny, isn't it? And the kind of, the kind of connections in terms of rapport as a, as the fellow musician, you know, it's just kind of is is readily established at the beginning of the conversation. I think. Yeah, there's there's a warmth to the man that that was just puts you absolutely at your ease, and then a, and then a conversation that unfolded, which in which he shares stuff that he you know he says he hasn't discussed before, mm -hmm. and a, a willingness to kind of go there, um, as to it, but it it being relevant to, um what we were discussing which is like the creative process and about being a musician and a songwriter and your you know how it impacts on your world um and being really open and honest about that stuff and i just found that really you know really impressive and refreshing refreshing as well wasn't it yeah, yeah i was grateful i was grateful to him for for it because it was like we could have that conversation and it and it felt like a really yeah i mean it's necessary one yeah, I mean, his journey starting with Fence Collective back in Fife and then the full sort of breadth of the journey to where he is now with Lost Maps um, and the stuff that he's doing his Pictish Trail. I mean, it, put, it reminded me a lot of some of those, you know, kind of uh, key established musicians or or kind of scenes, you know, like the, the scene in DC with Ian Mackay and Discord and mm. um, Fugazi, that kind of a approach or whether it's elephant six collective or even the stuff that came around um with saddle creek when bright eyes were first around and the whole kind of that notion of being a group of musicians and johnny johnny really sort of expressed at one point in the conversation how he got as much from the nurturing and success of his friends and fellow musicians as he did from his own kind of musical journey uh, it was very much about paying it forward wasn't it yeah, I absolutely love that. I mean, it's it's just, um, I think that's probably why we took to took to the guy during the conversation in the way yeah. that we did. It's like, okay, yeah, I get, we'll get that, and it very much sort of mirrors a lot of our own experiences. Um, I, yeah, I take your point as well about the um, uh, the other sort of collectives and and scenes mm -hmm. that you mentioned there, and it definitely it definitely felt like that. And then, but then encouraging others to come into that. Mm -hmm. you know, it's not yeah. a closed shop it is no come and see what this feels like come and be part of this see you know f get a sense of what this is and why it's important and what why it can impact on your music making and yeah and and especially where he finds him where he finds himself now on this you know sort of slightly idyllic setting on the isle of egg 
you know, which just sounds absolutely stunning and beautiful, both, you know, the sense of community, but also where it is and um, the kind of feel of the island. And then it's got this amazing kind of the recent kind of backstory around egg and the fact that it is collectively owned by by the the islanders themselves after a you know a rum old time of history um and then and then there he is arriving on the island and then establishing the festival and establishing lost maps and just ah i felt um i felt a tremendous sense of kind of admiration for him and also slightly jealous that i don't don't have an island an island like egg of my own to kind of hang out on as well <laughs> well yeah maybe yeah <laughs> yeah well perhaps um perhaps um you know johnny will invite us over to do a kind of crossover podcast because they have a it uh, does the fantastic lost map pod, podcast and maybe you could invite us over and we could do um songs from a padded egg envelope so, <laughs> oh, I like that. Oh, I like it. Uh, mate. Yeah, Johnny, like we'll come over like and do a, a, like a limited edition series yeah. over there interviewing musicians on egg. Yeah. Um, you know, before before we before we leave it and head off to egg, mm. you know, I thought also thought that at the end of the conversation, we got one of the kind of finest descriptions of the kind of formation and creation of a, of a song of a demo didn't we the story of um, how the lyrics came and then uh, yeah. um yeah and it was just it really kind of he he had so much to say about the process of it um and about how it came together and i loved that as well yeah definitely definitely it's a it's a treat this episode and um we are uh excited to bring it to you so thank you to johnny for coming on the show and for patiently awaiting uh, our invitation to actually come and do the thing because it took a while. <laughs> so thank you very much, Mr. Pictish Trail, um, for coming on the show and being such a generous and fantastic guest. Okay, well, shall we go over to our conversation with Johnny Lynch, aka Pictish Trail, on episode 60 of Songs from a Padded Envelope? Eggvelope. Eggvelope. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, my name is Pictish Trail. Uh, it's not actually my real name. My real name is Johnny Lynch. And you're going to hear the demo version of the song Island Family at the end of today's show. Well, thanks for coming on the podcast. Uh, it, it's, I think it feels like we might pull on some some quite strong geographical themes tonight. Um, so can you kick us off by telling us about the rather unique location you're joining us from? Well, I'm in my shed. <laughs> um, it's quite, it's a bit of a mess, despite the fact I hoovered. But my shed is located uh, on the Hebridean Isle of Egg, alongside my house, I should I should point out. It's not just my shed. <laughs> uh, and I've been living here for about 12 years. Yeah, it's a beautiful, tiny island in the inner Hebrides. It's part of a cluster of islands called the Small Isles. So our neighbouring islands are Muck, Rum and Canna, which are all real islands. They're not fictional islands. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, Egg, spelled E-I-G-G, is sort of in the, in the middle of all that. And we're about an hour's ferry ride away from the mainland. The nearest town on the mainland is a place called Malig. And what, what brought you to Egg then? How did you arrive there, Johnny? Well... I had been living in a fishing village uh, on the other side of Scotland in Fife um, and had been living there for about 15 years or something. And my partner, I just started seeing my current partner, who is then a journalist down in London. She was a music journalist, bizarrely enough. And we'd been going out. I was in a band based down in London called Silver Columns. So I was traveling down from Scotland to London to do recording and some gigs and stuff. And I would see Sarah. We started going out. And then she was like, oh, I'm leaving London to become a farmer on egg. And I was like, well, look, if it's not working out, you just have to say you don't have to make up some stupid elaborate. <laughs> fucking farmer what the hell is that yeah. uh but it was real 
she was born on. She's from Egg originally, and her mum and dad live up here, and they were taking over the tenancy of uh, her uncle's farm. Um, it's community owned this island, so no one, like, yes, yeah, they don't own the farmland, they're tenants on it. And uh, yeah, she wants to get into farming. She comes from sort of a farming background. And so I came up to visit. We'd only been going out like two or three months at this point and came up to visit and just totally fell in love with the place it's just mm. absolutely amazing um she's all right as well it's fine um <laughs> but yeah the island is totally incredible <laughs> Can you, there's a there's, there was a brilliant uh, observer article you did earlier in the year mm. and um which i recommend people should go and check out but can you give us a little bit of the, the sort of backstory on the island and, and its recent history so um this year egg celebrates its 25th anniversary of community ownership and uh, back in it so it, it won that back in 1997 and uh, previous to that the island had been owned by uh, a series of um yeah absentee landlords um it had been owned by a laird which is scottish for lord and uh <laughs> called keith schellenberg who is uh, an olympic tobogganist i think Wow. And yeah, one of those guys. And uh, he's a sort of eccentric Lord Laird type. And he, uh, yeah, was had, was living here and was kind of not being a particularly great landlord. He There's all sorts of stories about him being particularly cruel to uh, folks who had crofts here, small holdings and small, you know, uh, bits of farmland mm-hmm. and being just not very fair. Uh, and yeah, just being a bit of a um dictator and so they managed to get rid of him they didn't kill him (laughs) we didn't burn him In some Wicker Man vibes here. <laughs> well, this is it. Uh, but he decided to leave, and then he sold the island to some other dude, this uh, a German artist who turned out to be a total uh, who turned out to be a total hoaxer. It wasn't he didn't actually have the money that he said he had to buy the island, and so the the whole ownership of the island went up in the air. And so the community gathered together and started a fundraising campaign. And yeah, it was this is sort of pre-internet. 1997 so people were sending posting in checks they were reading about the story in the the newspapers and stuff and then there was uh one particular uh, donor who donated about half of the asking money for the for the island which was i think back then up 1.5 million or something like that and so half that money came from a secret donor whose identity is still not revealed and um yeah it's been under community ownership since then and it's been an amazing island to i've been here for 12 years and since i arrived like before i arrived they'd set up this egg electric system so we're completely off grid here all the electricity is generated from renewables uh, hydro and solar and wind power and uh so yeah each each household has electricity which on a lot of the scottish islands isn't actually the the case a lot of people have to use generators and stuff Mm. and so it's very green it's very progressive sort of uh, forward-thinking community here and very we communicate a lot with one another there's a gmail group i get about <laughs> 10 or 20 emails a day from different islanders asking for bags of cement <laughs> things like that <laughs> uh, it's a beautiful wee community it's incredible and yeah it's great i've got two kids now live here with a the family there's no escape there's literally no there's no escape <laughs> It sounds amazing. It sounds amazing. We've we've recently had conversations with folks on the show working creatively in sort of more remote locations, such as um, we talked to a heavy metal guitarist called Jonathan Steele in Benghazi in Libya, um, and um, we talked to a couple of the lads from Joe and the Ship Boys who are on the Faroe Islands. Um, and obviously, it sort of presents people with more challenges in terms of access to resources and supportive networks and things so what, what's your experience of being of, of working creatively uh on egg it's been amazing for working creatively uh apart from ha- the having kids part that's been terrible that has been the worst thing for cre- <laughs> for having <laughs> for having any creativity uh it's been incredible actually like i 
you know, I didn't exactly live in a sprawling metropolis before in a small fishing village. In like, <laughs> but uh, Egg has even less distractions. Like, there's, uh, it's a really incredible place to be when you just want to be alone with your thoughts. If you, you know, you can go out for a walk and not see anyone, and um, that for me is actually like a is probably the most important part of. Uh, my creative process is being able to just kind of be, being able to separate myself from everything and just be alone with my terrible mind <laughs> <laughs> uh, and just being able to yeah no distractions and just being able to like hum out tunes and record stuff on my phone whilst I'm walking around and all that sort of stuff it's uh it's, a, it's been great for that and it's a very supportive community as well beyond that like there's a, people here love music and they love Thing, you know events happening when i first moved here i um the, one of the first things we did me and sarah was to decide like oh we should put on a festival here because i've been putting on events um back in fife when i was part of this fence collective thing mm. and um so yeah we wanted to do one on egg it just seemed like a perfect location and everyone on the island within a week of me being there visiting was like yeah you should do an event here It'd be amazing and we did it we like we so i'd visited in like april of 2010 uh went back to fife decided to put tickets on sale uh and we put them on sale in may 2010 they sold out in five minutes and wow. people just saw a photograph of egg and were like yeah we want to be there and put it on sale we had like bands like um sea power formerly british sea power they played kate lebon francois and the atlas mountains who else played that one there was like Darren from Hefner played Ball Boy. Uh, I was, it was totally amazing. And then all the sort of fence lot. And we, Slow Club. And yeah. And that, that event happened in September that year. So it's it's been a great place to kind of create my own music. But it's also been an amazing spot for hosting music as well. And kind of that's a, that's a really big part of of who I am as a musician is the stuff that I do with the label and uh yeah and putting on events and stuff it kind of it all sort of feeds into one another yeah on your on your um on your lost maps website there's a the, i love the quote that you put up there well your quote quote of your own you know if you create music strongly advise making friends with like-minded musicians and forming your own collective and if you don't create music but like to i'd strongly advise making friends with people who music you like and form a collective so that idea of communities and connections and collectives as that does that underscore pretty much all of your music life yeah definitely like it's the easiest thing in the world to be excited about your friend's music and to feel and to genuinely enjoy it because when you're i don't know when you're creating something yourself and you're friends with someone who's also creating something and you genuinely enjoy what they're doing it's so like uh it's really easy to be telling everyone about it because you genuinely want people to hear it and uh, and it's really infectious that feeling um when i first started making music i was part of this thing called the fence collective uh, which i then started running as a label and uh yeah a few years down the line i uh, started off as a fan of the music that was coming out of the area that I lived in Fife. I was uh, studying in St. Andrews and there was just an an amazing scene of music that was happening there. Um, I was drawn to that area specifically because I was a huge fan of the Beta Band and that that whole scene was born out of that area in Fife, Uh, which is quite funny because it's kind of regarded as quite a well-to-do, quite posh (laughs) area uh, because of the university and its ties with royalty and all that bollocks but like there's a, yeah there's an amazing community of local musicians who are making incredible music uh, who definitely weren't posh <laughs> and uh i sort of wheedled my way into that scene just totally amazed by as a fan just totally amazed by people sharing songs with one another um the guy who had started that collective was a guy called Kenny Anderson, King Creaso, and I used to go and see him play in the local pub um, in St Andrews, and he would perform every second uh, Wednesday. Is that right? Every second Wednesday, <laughs> um, 
and would play for like four hours doing just his entire back catalogue of tunes, but then collaborating with other people. And then other people would go up and do a thing. It was kind of like an open mic night, but it was curate. They would curate it uh, with people that they knew and who were, the, who were their friends. And you would hear certain songs reoccur, but being sung by different people and different versions happening. And just suddenly being immersed in this very sort of close knit, but a uh, very fruitful scene just was an incredible experience and very sort of nurturing as a sort of foundling musician myself. I was kind of just starting to write songs at that point. And I wanted to kind of be part of that group. I was so enamored with it and, and was buying their, their CDs that they were selling um, that I, you know, plucked up the courage to do my own stuff and then became part of that scene and started playing with other people within that scene. And as soon as I, graduated from university i was at fence full-time and worked full-time at the label for 10 years became director uh one of the directors of the label and put on all the events and stuff and it was yeah a huge part of my life at at what point when you were starting to get involved with that scene did did you realize that um you had some skills that you could bring to it and that you wanted to be part of it because it 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 is it is great to be part of that that collective experience but sometimes um there's a danger that it can feel uh like an like an excluding thing like like a clique almost and there's a danger that it could fall into that that sort of thing what is it about the the way that it was operating that that, because clearly it wasn't that it was very nurturing and all the the way that you're describing is really positive what what do you think stopped it from falling in, in into that and allowing you to bring in your skills um, good question. I think it was, I mean, partly because it was really small. We were in a very small town, St. Andrews. There wasn't really much else to do. There's not, you know, uh, there was no other touring bands coming to the area. So you mm. could put on something and people would come to it. Um, so you had a sort of captive audience in, in, in a way. And I think just because there wasn't any idea of venturing out with that circle there was not really any plan to kind of go touring or to kind of go outside of the (laughs) where we were based i moved after i graduated moved down to anstruther and kenny was based in crail and uh i moved in with a friend alan in anstruther in cellardyke which is a sort of neighboring town and uh we were all musicians doing our thing and and we were sort of within our own little bubble and it we were a clique, I guess, but I think we were kind of open to there being other people involved. I guess there just because it was such a small community, there just wasn't that many people who most people liked, you know, Californication by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. <laughs> it was a dark time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the, your local people who like would uh, come to see you and like who were doing music themselves as part of an open mic night would kind of, I, I don't think they totally caught on to what we were doing. But the weird thing was, is because this was, was like the birth of the internet at that point. This was like late nineties, early noughties. Actually, I went full-time at events. It was 2003. And so the internet was kind of like really flourishing at that point. Message boards were really flourishing and we were finding an audience for what we were doing in Fife outside of Fife. And people were traveling from Edinburgh, from Glasgow, and then, then from up from London and then you know people traveling over from further afield to come to these small pub gigs that we were doing and so we we had a sort of platform at that point whereby it was actually better for us to kind of stay in our own bubble and do our own thing but for everyone else who was living in that town they weren't really that interested in <laughs> I guess it wasn't competitive is, is what as well there wasn't like a competitive edge between you all it was it was about supporting and make it it was about the music yeah and that um, and that did change that thing you know like um artists got signed and things you know once all that sort of stuff starts happening and an audience builds then things get a little started to get a bit more tricky and um yeah as i'd like to say that it was an an amazing idyllic experience but as soon as success started hitting (laughs) Well, I suppose that the influence of the industry, right, of the the wider industry, can be a can be a, a negative thing or a, can be a difficult thing to navigate. I think that just the pressures, just the pressures of of maintaining a band, as, like, is really tricky, and and feeling like you have to owe people something that you know you've been working with for years, and all that side of things is 
um i was on the sort of receiving end of that i'd been a sort of band player really within the fence thing i was doing my own thing and really proud of my own thing but wasn't really making any sort of steps out with uh fife there wasn't really an audience for pictures trail that existed out there so there wasn't any really big reason for me to tour until a bit later and um but yeah i think that's uh, it's it's a really weird one to try and to, to describe and dissect now with sort of hindsight that ended actually in not a particularly nice way yeah but you couldn't you didn't really have an option to to not let it go further though did you i mean you know it sounds like an idyllic position to be in to have this scene and then to have other people traveling to see you but then beyond the point you've got to push it out haven't you for other people to hear it this is and just the whole nature of music has changed so much i mean it's such a like obvious thing to say but it really has like the whole landscape has just completely changed in the last like 20 years that i've been doing music now um and it's yeah uh so yeah it just I've sort of lost my thread a little bit because it's kind of weird thinking about that time almost and having any sort of perspective on it. But I knew that like uh, when Fence kind of collapsed and fell under the sort of weight of its own pressure, I guess, I think um, it was really a fallout between myself and uh, Kenny. Uh, We just kind of weren't friends anymore. We just stopped being friends and it sort of coincided with me moving to egg to be honest i'd moved to egg by this point and was running fence from where i was here and whilst trying to simultaneously kind of keep the plate spinning in fife and it was actually going really well commercially (laughs) but um i think at the cost of our friendship and i think things could have continued um but he definitely didn't want them to continue and so he he put it in a position where it was that it had to end which was kind of sad but by that point i'd sort of been building up the label side of things and had a whole roster of acts whose music had been releasing and had been involved with and had the support of all them so we just started lost map and yeah it was a fresh start basically um and i've not seen kenny anderson in 12 years 10 years 10 years nearly Oh, I'm, well, I'm sorry. That's that's how it kind of panned out for you. That's you know obviously not going to be an easy thing, and uh, especially after having that experience. But did that experience kind of um, influence or um, sort of assist with the way that you worked with you know bands that you were uh, starting to approach you to be on the label and working with other musicians? Yeah, hugely. Like it was a massive galvanizing force because I suddenly felt, you know, I was actually starting to make my way with my own music at this point and I'd sort of built up confidence and an audience at this point. So whereby I could tour and I could be doing my own thing with Pictures Trail. And it wasn't just me either. There was other acts on the label where that was becoming a situation. Artists were kind of building up a following. And yeah, uh, so starting Lost Map was just like, it was a no-brainer really. Like it started within a month of fence ending and that's only because it took me a month to come up with a name (laughs) (laughs) the hardest part (laughs) it took me bloody ages um and yeah uh but the support was there and the audience was there and folk wanted to continue the same you know i wanted to continue doing things in in the way that we've been doing them just kind of working with the roster of artists and putting on showcase events and by this point, we don't, you know, Fence had already been putting some events on Egg. I'd been organizing events on Egg as well as doing the stuff in Fife. And so there was an audience that were used to coming up here and doing, you know, taking part in the festivals and stuff that we were doing up here. And um, yeah, it, um, it just sort of flew from that point because I think there's the th- weird thing about, and I, I, pro- I shouldn't dwell too much on the Fence thing because it's kind of, um, I've, I've never really properly articulated it before in an interview. I didn't really prepare myself for this. But I think, you know, part of the reason it ended was that uh, things were becoming a bit too restrictive on artists. Like, things were changing in terms of music being available on um, download services like iTunes and stuff. Mm. And Kenny was dead against that sort of thing. He only wanted us to release music on vinyl. He was kind of doing away with all CDs even. And I kind of admire the sort of purest 
approach of that but it just was kind of holding back all the all the acts like you, you can't make a start as an artist you certainly couldn't then as an artist going about releasing music in that way you kind of have to try and make yourself as available to people as, as possible in some in some ways whilst trying to retain some <laughs> uh, integrity as an artist um and yeah I just didn't want to place those limitations on artists. I kind of thought, no, this is like, I want to be able to assist with you finding an audience. I want you, I want to be able to help you find an audience because that's exciting to me. It's really yeah. exciting when people are organically discovering what you're doing. And by this point, the internet had got to a place where people's connections were so fast that actually music was being, was a lot more instantaneous, you know? Um, and yeah that's it we just started and we just we, we were on a roll since then and it's like as of we've been at it for nine years now but i'm trying to yeah i think with the label and it's and this is why i think lost map is is bulletproof i've probably just jinxed it now is that like um i can call the shots on stuff but i'm working with a team of people and with um a roster of artists where we're very upfront about what we can do and what we can't do mm. and we uh, service the music that uh, in the best way that we can. And in fact, in recent years, we've discovered that um, the most effective way for us to service an artist's music, servicing music sounds such a horrible expression, yes, but yeah. I can't really think of another way of I'm enjoying it. it, if I'm honest. <laughs> <laughs> but like, the way like we you know distribute an artist's music is um, largely now to uh, like uh, our fan base. So we've built up a thing called Postmap club where we send postcards out to, to our fan uh, our members each month we've built up a really good um fan club for want of a better word it's kind of like a patreon but we're sort of doing it through our own website and we've got a podcast that we do and um we try and make our like fans feel as much a part of the thing as as the artists are you know and um so in that way we try yeah that's kind of what we how we operate now as a label and how we that's the best thing that we can do for an artist actually is is be able to service their music directly to the audience that we've got and try and grow that audience collectively so when an artist does well on the label and gets played on radio and gets press coverage or whatever then hopefully that brings people towards lost map and that's that's good for the whole for all the other artists who are maybe not as as, as established and um and it tends to mean that like you know the artists who do get bigger can sign up onto other labels and stuff and that's that's a really good situation it feels like i feel like i don't have to ha- carry the responsibility of their success so much it has to be driven by the artists themselves but what we can as much as we can do to help nurture that and support that then um, we're up for it but in my own in my own case like i'm signed my own music as pixie trail is signed to fire records um and has been for the last three albums and that's been that's been a really interesting side of things because just like yeah being in a different relationship where i'm the artist and i'm dealing with a different label is kind of quite interesting um and it's weird because i feel sort of less attachment to my own music now which has been um quite liberating i've been i feel like i can make anything that i want and but i don't really feel that the records are the be all and the end all of what i do as pictures trail I feel like Lost Map is as much part of my identity as a musician as the records I release as Pictures Trail. And so I'm, if anything, I'm reckless. <laughs> so that, that, that change for you is that that's had an impact on how you, um, the speed with which you make music or the freedom with which you put down an idea or. Uh, yes. Although, I mean, since having kids, it's, it's less and less frequent, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's, um, yeah, it's more um, concentrated bursts of time in which I get to create, in which I create, allow myself to create music. And actually, I find that that's a more fruitful way of creating stuff. Um, as like I used to just do, you know, when I was in Fife, I'd just be recording stuff in little bits and pieces on a Zoom eight track, and would return to it months and months later. And I'd just be sort of building up a sort of catalogue of like really terrible recordings. Whereas now I do all the terrible recordings in one week. (laughs) 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 And and then stress about it. Um, And then ignore it for a few months and then go back to it and go, oh, actually, that's all right, that idea. 
Um, but yeah, my relationship with my own music has changed since I've signed to Fire. I think I like I've, I'm now aware more of where I'm uh, productive and w- how I can create my best stuff. And I think I am now. Like I feel like the recent record is the best thing personally that is the best thing that I've created and it's the most me thing that I've created and I feel really chuffed with how that's come together because it's kind of I had a plan for it and then I sort of did it and then realized that oh shit that plan I had that actually worked (laughs) (laughs) this is I've discovered what my process is now (laughs) so tell us about it tell us what the plan was what the process was Johnny so with this recent record I spent all of 2020 not doing music i had an album come out in 2020 um in march but there's a thing called coronavirus (laughs) we'll put a link Uh, in the show notes (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so i'd I'd spent a couple years making that album and it came out in february of that year and and there was a tour meant to start in march of 2020 and obviously all got cancelled so i spent the rest of that year just kind of going all right well i'm just gonna take a break just now for music because I'd been planning just to tour that a whole year anyway I wasn't planning on creating anything new really and but then it got to 2021 New Year's Eve Hogmanay 2020 waking up the next morning January 1st 2021 with the mother of all hangovers um and just thinking oh shit I really need to start making music this is I'm not a musician anymore and just panicking <laughs> that I hadn't written a song in bloody ages and so I said to my partner, January, she's a farmer, as a yeah, as I explained earlier. So I, I said to her that um, I'm going to go and stay in this week. She's got a a bothy called St. Franny, Franny's Bothin, which is, uh, yeah, uh, a sort of Airbnb little bothy that tourists stay in during the summer. And it's pretty much empty during the winter because it's not many tourists come to Egg during that time. And so I thought, all right, I'm going to spend a week in there five days in there um working on some new tunes and just see what i come up with and uh, and then i set myself a recording date with rob jones the uh, the producer who I've worked with on all my albums for the last three albums uh, he lives in aldershot <laughs> of all places <laughs> and um so i said uh, to Sarah, look, I need to actually write some songs because I've booked in a session now with Rob and I need to actually have songs to take to him and I don't have anything. So <laughs> I need to do that. Locked myself away in the Bothy and wrote, uh, I think, five songs that week. Um, and really within the first three days, like the bare bones of those songs were kind of there. And it was just a case of like getting myself to a state of panic and just going shit write anything (laughs) and uh yeah actually realizing that i had been thinking about what i wanted to do and i had already been sort of my brain had already absorbed all the different sounds that i wanted to explore uh, and the, the direction i wanted to go in and so when it came to actually getting it all down and recording these ideas it kind of came quite quickly they weren't like again it's on my zoom eight track so they're not the most highly polished <laughs> demos of all time but that's kind of my process now is i i've got this it's a zoom 24 track actually um and uh yeah i re- i write and record everything all my demos on that i don't use a laptop because i don't like to see the waveforms of things i don't like to see things when i'm mixing so like um yeah had that set up Took up a, an old Casio keyboard, um, some my sampler, uh, a Chaoslator Pro Plus drum machine synth thing. Uh, it's a piece of shit, <laughs> and <laughs> and a distortion pedal and a bass guitar, and that was it on my acoustic guitar. And just those instruments, I just limited myself to writing all the demos and doing every single part of it with just those things and. Yeah, by the end of that week, I had a batch of things. That I thought, okay, I can do this first session with Rob. And there's three of these things, three of these five songs that I feel confident about that we can do something with. And that's going to be the first start to the to the record. And it was. That's the that's how it came together. And how how's the process between taking your slightly insane demos 
and 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 taking them to Rob's. What's the process like between the transformation from that into what a song becomes at the end? How's that? Well, it's quite a ma- it's quite weird. Like um, particularly on this record, Rob was insistent that we keep a lot of the stuff that I'd recorded in because I kind of the sound of it I was really pleased with. I was using my sampler, the SP four hundred four, uh, as um, to like I was putting my bass through, and I was using that as an effects unit basically. And the distortion sound on that thing just sounded really great, and I had the gain all the way up, and it's like totally maxing out, and it just yeah, it was really thrilling to be able to play and to to create a sound with some shit pieces of equipment. <laughs> and uh and be really happy with the actual sound of it so i was recording all in separate stuff on the r24 digital eight i wonder if i've got it here it's pointless me trying to show you on a podcast (laughs) Um, (laughs) but uh yeah uh then i would take those files down to rob and play this an mp3 version of the song which had bounced down and say this is the tune and here's all the individual stems that I've recorded for it on this on this four track, it's a twenty four track thing. And he would take the individual stems and sort of place them into Ableton and sort of map out the song basically. And we'd kind of use that as the sort of bare bones of where we'd start. But there was so much of it that we just kept the sounds in, particularly a lot of the bass guitar stuff and drum machine sound stuff. And it's weird, like you listen to a a track like Island Family, which we'll, we'll get to. Um, but like so much of the stuff and the structure of it is there in that first demo recording. And it's just taking it. Um, and Rob's got a really great wee studio uh, in his garden in, in Aldershot. It's this wee separate hut. And it's, but it's brilliant. It's got like a live room and a sort of control room. And he just knew what elements to sort of beef up and... I would redo vocals, obviously, and redo some guitar bits here and there. And he would do add live drums and, oh, yeah, just little bits like that just kind of added to what was already there. And just all of a sudden, it was just kind of bringing the sort of track to to life. It brought it into this sort of technicolor from The Wizard of Oz, black and white into the full <laughs> full scope of color, the full spectrum of color. It sounds like a brilliant way of working, actually, because there is that thing about demos. I mean, I mean, it's it sort of informs the whole bloody podcast, really, in some ways. That idea of the the magic of the of a of a demo recording yeah. and something that you know the lightning in the bottle moment, or just that you you get the seed of the idea, the the thing that gets you excited. So being able to work with a collaborator who gets that and mm. you know wants to support rather than sort of conventional thinking about okay we 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 start from scratch thanks for doing your sketch now we're going to do we'll start from scratch and try and capture that again so it's lovely that you have that you, that you both have that enthusiasm for that way of working and that's why i kind of want to keep working with them because we've done that like for the last three albums like thumb world was the same and before that future echoes we did that there was another producer involved with that album called adam who had done the silver columns project with he was a member of that band fridge Mm, yeah. uh, with Fortet, amazing dude, but incredibly in demand. Like just constantly having, you know, he's got a million different projects on, uh, and so I needed to finish that album, which I did with Rob. And that experience of working with Rob sort of led into Thumb World, which is the album we did after that, and then Island Family. And with Island Family, it was definitely like the with the previous album, Thumb World. I'd be taking parts down, the demos down, and we'd be adding a lot of stuff on top of it. And Rob's playing is absolutely incredible. So he can kind of he was just really great at kind of working it apart and playing stuff on top. Whereas with this recent album, he was kind of more he was just, he actually really pushed me into keeping this stuff that I'd recorded myself. And he was like, No, this is this sounds great. Let's keep this and actually just accentuate elements of it um as opposed to playing over the top of it and so yeah most of it is is my own playing where did that relationship with rob spring from then johnny um how did it start like um so i've known rob for years because he made his own music under the name voluntary butler scheme and uh he um yeah he's also like really good friends with my pal Steve Black, who makes music under the name Sweet Baboo, 
And Sweet Baboo had produced an earlier album of mine uh, called Secret Sounds Volume 2. Uh, he did that on Egg, bizarrely enough. And Rob came up and played with Steve when Sweet Baboo play, played on Egg. Rob was in his band and played up here. Rob also played in Slow Club and they played a bunch of events that we played, uh, that we put on. Um, so I've known him over the years sort of through that. And it was my friend, another friend, Stephen, who runs Moshi Moshi, who I'd been signed to before, who said, oh, if you're looking for someone to record with, you should <clears throat> you should hit up Rob. And one of our artists, Ro- uh, Rosie Plain, had just been doing some recording with him and had a really good experience. And Rob was living in London at this point, And so I went to visit him and we worked on two tunes. And yeah, it was just amazing how immediate things were. Like how immediately things came together. Like he was able to jigsaw together parts I'd done. I'm not a very, I'm not a very gifted technical musician. I'm like, I'm really crap at like, I've never properly learned an instrument. I can't read music, but I just, I know my songs. And so, yeah, he was able to capture that and, you know, erase any mistakes that didn't sound charming. <laughs> so, you know often oh we'll keep the mistakes in we're not going to keep the mistakes in they sound shit. Uh, so he was he's just really because because he's a musician himself and he's kind of he's someone who's like he's done mixing for a lot of people and he does production work he's kind of and he's an all-rounder he plays bass drums guitar and keys he's like an incredible player of all of that he's like he taught himself brass as soon as he like um started doing production work he decided oh maybe I'd like to hear a trumpet on this. Maybe I'll just learn how to play the trumpet. And he just he just learned how to play the trumpet. That's a great move. That's so cool, isn't it? That's <laughs> what really a dick. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't like him, but no, hats off. Hats he's off. Absolutely incredible. Like he's just so amazing at being able to capture a melodic idea and just like go right. Well, let's just get this down now. And within ten seconds, it exists. And you're like, how did you? What? How did you yeah. do that? I love it. Uh, so it's brilliant he's just really great at doing that stuff and he's really funny we spend most of our time like just listening to other music when we're recording stuff together and talking about what we really love about other records and then ripping them off (laughs) (laughs) Uh, we all do that right (laughs) (laughs) it's the joy of music yeah yeah absolutely (laughs) um you've mentioned a couple of times about um being a dad and having having kids and but it's not something that we've really talked about before with other guests but as a musician and a, a creative person and obviously you know with uh running the label and everything uh with a young family how have you found balancing the demands of family and creativity um i mean i've, I've managed it i've done albums and i've probably produced my best stuff out of it so when i look at the evidence I can go, all right, well, yeah, this has been really good. This has actually been a good thing. But the day-to-day <laughs> reality <laughs> of it is that you just want to pull your hair out. You you doubt yourself the entire time. I'm not doing I'm not doing enough music. I can't be a musician. I'm not a musician. I hate myself. Oh, well. and then you listen to everyone else's music and it's so much better, it's so much better. And you're like, oh, God. There's moments where of extreme exhaustion when you're a parent where it's really tricky to think clearly and to you learn that you have to stop thinking selfishly and you have to stop thinking about yourself because the needs of your small children completely outweigh your own, you know, uh, worries about your self-worth. That's just, um, yeah. And it's a really good leveler and it's been great for bringing routine into my life. And it's been great for forcing me to kind of really take advantage of the of the moments, the, the small bits of time that I can get to work on something and make the most out of that, that concentrate, those concentrated bursts of time. Um, it's made me like, yeah, having kids has changed everything in, t- in, like, in terms of songwriting as well. It's just, uh, it's, yeah, it's made me realize that it's okay to kind of, express something that's uh that feels like it's coming directly from within you i'm not i I don't think i'm ever going to be the sort of songwriter that writes character songs <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with that but like i know like because there's such a small space of time in which i have to record stuff i it's almost like i don't control what the content of the thing is going to be it just it 
it just comes out of me like it's that's it and uh there's no i don't have any control over that in it in a way to be honest it's just a case of letting it all splurge out and then refining it and editing it over the course of six months or whatever yeah that's a bit of the holy grail really in some respects isn't it in terms of sort of a creative expression to just feeling well i guess pushed into a a window of opportunity (laughs) but then but actually feeling you know relaxed and free enough to be able to do that have you um how many problem is is that i'm not successful so obviously it hasn't worked that well (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> like i have to keep i have to keep at it it's really hard work <laughs> i have not had a hit i'm desperate for a hit <laughs> sorry i interrupted your question no no it, it was going to be a fairly corny question actually but um what uh, you, but you've you've diverted my brain to something else um i was going to ask you about how many songs since becoming a parent have you written about your kids because <laughs> i know some people just you know won't do won't do it and but then also when you do have kids you, maybe it comes out in a particular way have you have, have you indulged that idea i think there's been like of the two that i can think that are specifically about my kids there's two and I, which is funny because there's two kids i've got two kids <laughs> two, two, two ideas two kids two songs <laughs> <That's it. laughs> honey we're gonna have i need some more songs <laughs> it's date, date night tonight <laughs> um i yeah i don't tend to write specifically i've not written songs really specifically about the children even the ones that are kind of about the kids there's one that's actually about um called rhombus which was um uh we miscarried our first child and and i had in my head that we were going to call the child rhombus and um when we were pregnant with uh our soon-to-be first child who's born arlo um I told my partner, I was like, oh, maybe we should still go with the name Rhombus. And she was like, you don't honestly think that I was going to let you call our child Rhombus, you fucking idiot. <laughs> no, that was never, that was never going to happen. <laughs> um, <laughs> and fair enough. Although I, you know, I think Rhombus, if anyone wants to use Rhombus as a name, yeah. you know, there's a song as well for you. <laughs> from Future Echoes. So that was the songs that were dedicated to the, to our unborn child, I suppose. Um, and uh, yeah, there's a song on the Thumb World called, oh, what the hell is it called now? Um, I've forgotten the name of it. <laughs> my brain's just totally gone. I'm going to have to look up my own tracks on Spotify. Hold on. It's a really good one. It's track five. <laughs> we can edit this to make it just there. Uh, <laughs> or we could make it make the pause even longer. <laughs> what a terrible father! <laughs> now that track is called "Fear Anchor," and it's about the fear of having another child. I'm actually going to look at my other track titles to see if there was any other ones that are about the kids. Uh, no, no, no. In the land of the dead, no, <laughs> no. Um, so no, I don't tend to write specifically about those sort of and it's, I'm not really I don't really think I've written any specific songs about my partner either <laughs> and that's not broadcast to the world you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, she never listens to any podcast that I'm on that's fine <laughs> she's to avoid those what what about the what about the impact of, of egg and the like specific location on on you and your music making yeah well that definitely did filter through on this record particularly on island family like up until this point, any time I'd had an interview, someone be, you know, the people be asking, like, how much has Egg influenced where your songs and stuff? And I'd be like, as much as my children, not much. <laughs> uh, and it was true because I don't really write specifically about, wasn't writing specifically about nature. And so I was thinking, right, well, what should I do? And so the first thought I had going into the Bothy at the beginning of last year when I started writing the Al- the Island Family album was that I need I w- I wanted to write an album that was about egg and kind of quite tongue in cheek like sort of directly talking about nature and specifically mentioning certain aspects of nature and certain events happening on the island and stuff putting that into the songs in a way that was just really deliberate and maybe not very um sincere <laughs> or maybe it's or, or just sort of overly sincere in a way that's not sincere. 
But the problem is, is that I kind of found that when I was doing that, there was an element of sincerity about it and there was an element of like emotional attachment to it. And, um, and even though I was kind of pointedly talking about uh, lying in a river and letting the river wash over me or uh, talking about sort of incidents that had happened on egg, like the massacres that had happened on egg, um, which uh, a lot of people died and all this sort of stuff, the ghosts of egg. Um, I did. I did genuinely feel the sort of keening, the sense, the sort of weird keening, the sort of weird attachment to where I was living. I think up until this point, I've, uh, I'd, I'd felt like an incomer. You know, I'm not from Egg originally. I'm from the East Coast. I'm not particularly a nature person. I don't really spend. I, I go for long walks, and I like, uh, and that's how I do a lot of writing and thinking. But I don't, you know, I don't know the difference between the trees. I don't know the difference between different types of fauna, and it, like I never really paid attention to any of that shit in school. Uh, I'm like, oh look, some isn't that lovely grass? <laughs> lovely, that's lovely, lovely bit of water. Mm. Oh look, there's a stone. There's a stone. <laughs> oh, home again. You know, I, don't, I don't, I don't really take in any of that, and uh, yeah. So I think I've, I've not really felt a proper sense of. Uh, like a sense of belonging and I realized that since having kids uh that does mean that you know I I they they are from you know egg they were born here pretty much they're like they are from egg they're eggers and that means I am too now and and so yeah a lot of this album is sort of coming to terms with that that feeling of like oh it's okay I don't have to know every different type of fauna on the island it's all right I don't need to be the fauna expert on egg i can just be a dad um an embarrassing dad that lives on egg with two children who are from egg and that's enough and yeah uh it really like feeling that sense of community and feeling that sense of belonging re- really fueled the album and allowed me to take up you know a few liberties i think but so thank you so much johnny for for coming on the podcast it's a proper treat to, to meet you I, I love the way that you approach what you do I, i've got so many questions i want to ask you about what you do but it's been love it's been lovely to to talk to you can we just um round off the podcast please with you introducing the demo and and saying a little bit about the track people are going to hear now Okay, so you're about to hear the demo of the song Island Family, which is the title track and opening track of of the, al- of the album Island Family. <laughs> um, didn't need to explain that bit. And uh, it was the first song that I wrote for the album, funnily enough. I sat down with um, this Chaosolator Pro Plus drum machine thing and wanted to try and create a sound that was just uh, quite industrial and a bit harsh. I wanted to write a song about the island and about nature and about the uh, people who had died on the island. Um, but I wanted to do it in a way that was going to be quite shocking. And so I, I put started working on this bizarre beat and uh, it's quite, yeah, an industrial sounding odd thing. And then just added some sort of co- synth, like Casio keyboard synth chords over the top of it. And I knew that I wanted to do something that was kind of like um, the artist Fever Ray, who's in that band, The Knife. Is this too long an introduction? It's perfect. <laughs> Keep going. Uh, and so I wanted to do something that kind of had that build to it and that sort of sense of otherworldliness. And the verses of the song are about people. Uh, it's about bonfire night, actually, where the whole island gathers together and sets fire to... <laughs> has a massive bonfire and there's like local fire you know homemade fireworks pretty lethal and um i sort of imagined a scenario it's a great thing when we all gather together for that i imagined a scenario where all the sort of ghosts of egg were like hovering above us uh in a circle um above the flames and witnessing the community coming together below and wanting to rejoin the community. Uh, someone who was from the island had actually just died quite recently at the beginning of that year. And I think I was thinking about how that person's death had really affected, it affects everyone on the island because, you know, you get to know each other, each other really closely here. And 
so it made me think about all the other people who had died recently and then about the sort of the massacre cave killing in which 400 islanders were smoked out they were all they were killed within a cave on egg uh, during some clan warfare in the 1500s and so i sort of tied in with that and uh and then I wanted to have like an actual folk song in the middle of the tune. And so I had this sort of weird industrial beat thing going on. And then I used the same chords that I'd done the, the verses with to do a sort of folk song that was like a made up folk song about different locations on egg where people had died. <laughs> and to take any credibility away from it, I put my voice through the sampler and sped up my voice. So it sounded like a little chipmunk. <laughs> <laughs> i sort of tried at every point i tried to whenever something was quite sincere i just tried to sort of sabotage it and like ruin it on purpose <laughs> but weirdly i think it kind of i really loved the sound of it and that's great it, that, that it, yeah that sped up vocal is fantastic cool yeah i've just i like i love the sort of weirdness of it it's very sort of beta band inspired because they had that whole that whole thing going on and uh where they would speed up vocals and um the, yeah their whole approach to making music was quite a collage thing and that's that's been a huge inspiration to me the beta band and so maybe there was a sort of tip of the hat to that um but yeah i just wanted to create like a sort of very plaintive earnest folk song in the middle of it and then have it seek out back into this weird industrial mad thing again and then have the two join together at the end mm. and it came together that tune like um there's not many tracks on there it's like a drum track vocal track in fact the drum track and vocal track are intertwined and we couldn't get rid of them when we were bouncing it down in the in the studio so at the beginning the very beginning of this of this of the song you hear me going <sighs> and that's me testing the mic <laughs> but when it came to isolating it i realized that i'd done that over the drum track and so that's all, that's on the album <laughs> love it uh, could we get rid of that or oh, we could get rid of it but let's keep it in uh so there's the drum track that vocal over the top of it and casio keyboard and then just a really crappy guitar and some other little keyboard effects but just like maybe six or seven channels most that uh, most on that tune and i think by the end of it i'd kind of captured the full thing and so taking it to rob i felt okay cool we can really accentuate the the beat of this and really make it quite tribal sounding and um yeah i encourage folk to listen to the the real version afterwards to see what rob did with it to make it sound much better <laughs> yeah we'll definitely link to that as well cool and the song is called oh the song is called island family thanks johnny yeah thanks johnny no worries
Songs from a Padded Envelope is presented, produced and edited by Steve Swindon and Ben Clay. Music is by state-sponsored Jukebox. Artwork is by Matt Canning. Songs from a Padded Envelope is a Hidden Hive production. (laughs) 